50 years ago, the term genomics hadn't yet been coined. The tools and technologies that are foundation of modern biotechnology were in their infancy, and methods for sequencing even a few nucleotides were barely workable. In the years since, genomic technology has evolved and genomic advances have been incorporated into routine medical care. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Charles Rotimi, Director of the Center for Research on Genomics and Global Health at the National Institutes of Health. As part of the journal series in honor of the 50th anniversary of the Institute of Medicine, now called the National Academy of Medicine, Dr. Rotimi has co-authored a perspective article about advances in human molecular genetics and genomics. Dr. Rotimi, you write in your perspective article that the development of genomic tools and data sets has transformed the nature of medical discovery. Can you talk about how these advances have changed the way that research is conducted? Yes, I think with the successful sequencing of the human genome with the draft released in 2001 and uh, the final draft received in, uh, published in 2003, we now have been equipped as scientists to be able to ask questions in a scope that we just couldn't imagine before the sequencing of the human genome. Instead of looking at a few nucleotides now, we can interrogate the whole in genetic inheritance of living organisms to answer biological questions and medical questions that were intractable before we knew the sequencing, the locations of each nucleotide in our genome. So profoundly, it has allowed us to design biotechnologies that gives us ability to agnostically search the genome of humans and other living organisms to find areas in the genome that are associated with specific diseases in a way that we don't even need to have prior hypothesis to be able to do that. So what about medical care, both routine care and precision medicine? What can we do now that wouldn't have been possible without these advances in genetics and genomics? It's uh, just starting with something like looking at gene editing, for example. The ability to be able to edit the genome of living things, uh, human beings, to cure diseases is really been transformational in that regard. And the ability to be able to use genomics to design new therapeutics for cancer. And we have a very recent example, you know, the vaccine for COVID-19. And those were all efforts that are brought from the gains of the technology that were driven in the successful sequencing of the human genome. We can also now treat people with medications in such a way to reduce adverse effects. So it's really been wonderful steps in the directions of being able to drive medicine at the cellular level and the organism level and to be able to prescribe medications in a way that we are reducing adverse effects. What about setbacks? Are there processes, procedures that have turned out to be more difficult than expected? Yes. One of the things we've been able to be quite successful in identifying locations in our genome are that are tracking certain diseases. But it's a completely different question to be able to assign functions to that part of the genome in a way to have clinical implications. We are making strides in those directions, but there's still a long way to go to be able to translate some of these uh, findings, whether it's in the context of rare diseases or more common diseases like heart disease, cancer, diabetes, 
to be able to translate these genomic findings in a way that we understand the biology and then we now be able to use it to improve human health at a clinic is a challenge that we are continuing to grapple with, but the future is quite promising in our ability to solve some of these difficult biological questions and medical questions. You say in your article that both the investigators and the participants involved in genomic research have largely been of European ancestry. How has that lack of diversity affected science and affected access to appropriate treatment? And do you see it being corrected anytime soon? I look at this as an ongoing challenge. It's pretty clear that close to 60-70% of the study participants that have been included in genomic studies have been of European ancestry. And the numbers have been very, very small when you talk about African ancestry individuals or, or individuals of Hispanic origin. The number has been quite discouraging. The way this hinders our, our ability to understand biology is that we now know from uh, sequencing the human genome and the implementing projects like the HapMap and the Thousand Genome that the distribution of human genetic variation, and that is where we vary between each other in our genome, is not random. And sometimes it's structured by geography, sometimes it's structured by ancestry. And if we do not engage different populations around the world, different ancestral backgrounds, we will not be fully able to understand the distribution of human genetic variation. And therefore, we may be making a misdiagnosis when we are trying to use reference genomic databases to interpret individual risk. A recent example was the fact that heart disease was being misdiagnosed in African Americans because the reference database did not include enough information from African Americans. And therefore, individuals who did, who did not have risk of heart disease were being classified as such. A recent paper that we published in the, in the journal Nature also shows that in African populations, there are quite a few of the genetic variants that are being classified as pathogenic in the current databases may not necessarily be so because we see at a much higher frequency in African populations, which um, you know, speaks to the fact that this could not be as pathogenic as originally classified. So there are various examples like that. You know, South Asia, for example, there are discoveries of variants that were not identified in Europeans that have implications for cancer and for other diseases. So it's really critical for us to understand the distribution of human genetic variation and impact on health and disease in different human populations. Otherwise, we'll not be able to truly deploy genomics to benefit the global population. And in fact, your own work focuses on genomics and global health. How have advances in genetics and genomics affected research and affected the delivery of medicine in lower resource countries? It's an incremental process. The, uh, in developing countries, for the most part, the deployment of genomics is still in its infancy. But when you look at the work that we are doing across different African countries in terms of the human heritage and health in Africa, what we call History Africa program, we see how we can begin to use genomics to answer questions about things like sickle cell, about kidney disease, 
and how those can be deployed into clinics. A recent example of how genomics has informed risk in African people, African ancestry individuals, is the discovery of the relationship between two genetic variants in the APOIL1 gene for kidney disease. And these risk variants that are very deleterious for the kidney rose to high frequency because they provided protection against anosomiasis infection, what we call the African sleeping sickness. So it rose to that high level in that part of Africa, and it's now distributed globally as a result of admixture and you know, the slave trade. But individuals who have two copies of these risk variants, their risk of getting kidney failure is extremely high. And therefore, it's important to know your status as relates to these variants before you become the kidney donor, for example. Or if you are accepting the kidneys, from some from a donor, then you perhaps want to know the status of these variants in the donor so that you know whether your kidney is going to last for some time. So those are some of the ways that you know genomics is helping us. It's also helping us to prioritize drug, for example, in terms of HIV treatments and you know things like places like Zimbabwe, where they have used understanding of pharmacogenomics to prioritize dosing for HIV uh, treatments. You talk in your article about two initiatives that are underway in genomics research, creating a complete cell atlas of the human body and establishing large-scale biobanks. How do you expect those projects to contribute to new discoveries? Our ability now to what we call single-cell interrogation, as you, everybody knows, we have you know, billions of cells in our body. And are, uh, instead of looking at just the blood systems or organs, we now have the ability to actually interrogate single cells and do single cell sequencing. And the ability to do this is really giving us insight into how the cells work in a way that we couldn't before. Creating large biobanks really creates opportunity for us to be able to interrogate data in a very large and robust manner so that we have sufficient sample sizes. And these biobanks are increasingly sensitive to the fact that we need to have diverse ancestry included in these biobanks in a way that we can have access to already well curated data sets for various investigations, whether it's novel discovery or trying to translate what we find into clinical care. So finally, besides those projects, what do you see as the next steps that are going to be needed to expand genomics research and its application to medical care? There needs to be a continuous realization and dedication of resources to ensure that genomics is deployed equitably across the world. If we do not do this successfully, we may exacerbate already unacceptable health disparities or health inequities that exist in different parts of the world. So engaging different scientists from different parts of the world, engaging different research uh, participants are critical. And also, we need to be conscious of the fact that as we deploy genomics, we are going to face some ethical challenges. For example, when you're doing gene editing, you know, how do you do it in such a way that we are indeed not creating more problems than we are solving? Those ethical considerations uh, need to be seriously considered. So we are maintaining privacy, 
we are maintaining the dignity of humanity and that we are deploying these technologies, being very cautious of social norms and how we interact with each other so that we do not exacerbate you know, problems that genomics or technology cannot solve. Thank you, Dr. Rotemi.